Hey team, welcome to a special episode of Transition Talk. Charles and I had the great honor of presenting on the topic of valuation and transition and the impact of COVID during a webinar hosted by the great AACD. We had plans to present on this topic, sans COVID, during their annual scientific session, but like all other travel in 2020, then came COVID. Clearly, this is and will continue to be a big topic as we move into 2020 and clearly into the next years as well, and I'm sure this will continue to evolve and we will continue to cover it. For all of our younger listeners out there, if you haven't checked out the AACD, please do. They're a fantastic group of practitioners. They know their stuff and they have a wealth of knowledge to share with their members. And if you'd like to see this, see our faces and slides, We'll have this posted on our site and our YouTube channel, so feel free to check it out or email us if you can't find it and would like a copy. So without further ado, hope you enjoy. Good afternoon. My name is Dana, and I am the Director of Membership here at the AACD, and I want to thank you all for joining us for the webinar, How Valuations Are Impacted by COVID-19. Before we get started, I have a few housekeeping items to go over. This webinar is being recorded and will be available on the AACD virtual campus in about 48 hours. All participants are on mute and will remain so through the presentation. And if at any time you have any questions, please feel free to use the question and answer feature. After this webinar concludes, you will receive an email with a survey that will ask you a few questions about the experience and the content since we're just bringing back webinars, we ask that you take the time to fill that out so we can continue to improve as we host additional webinars. Now let's learn a little bit more about our speakers today, Charles Loretto and Chrissy Ratcliffe, CPA, CVA. Charles Loretto is a registered investment advisor, partner of Kane Waters and Associates, LLC, CWA, in charge of new client services and the founder of National Dental Placements, NDP. Soon after joining CWA in 2001, Charles recognized the gap between the graduating dentist and established doctor, so NDP was launched in 2006, 2005. Excuse me. Although the service lines were, have evolved, the goal has not. Charles is passionate about practice ownership and drives NDP to help dentists with their transition needs and help young dentists become owners. Christy Ratcliffe is a partner of NDP and oversees the valuation and consulting services line. She is a certified public accountant and certified valuation analyst and utilizes her unique background of accounting, consulting, valuation, and relationship building to assist NDP clients as they reach their transition goals. Christy is passionate about education and believes the greatest asset when facing an unknown experience is data. Her goal is to empower clients with information they need to feel confident that they are making the right decision. Charles and Christy have spoken to over 12,000 students and residents from 36 dental schools, and their team helps approximately 150 clients annually with their transition goals. In addition, in 2018, they began a podcast series, Transition Talk, so they can share the wealth of knowledge gained over the last 15 plus years helping dentists transition into and out of ownership. Their extremely popular 56,000 listens and counting podcast provides guidance, tips, and real life scenarios, both good and bad, to help young dentists navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. We're really excited to have Charles and Christy on the line today, so I'm gonna turn things over to you. Charles and I are so excited to be talking today. We wish we were talking to you next week at the scientific session, um, but as we all do our part to try to stop the spread, we're going to be here today. Um, and our goal over the next 45 minutes or so is to talk about valuations and transitions, um, not only in general, but clearly how they're being impacted now. Um, I don't think that anyone would argue with me if when I say that valuations and transitions are emotional and they're complicated just outside of normal, you know, COVID-19, um, and this is adding an extra wrinkle. So um, it's definitely not only those that are, that, that are considering valuation and transition now, but those in the next two and three years, 2020, how COVID is impacting 
um, and how the economic impact of COVID is going to impact your practices once they reopen, because they will reopen, um, it, it is really going to impact transitions kind of as we move forward for the for the next uh, foreseeable future. So um, my lovely partner here um, is going to walk us through kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but we're both really excited to be here uh, and sharing this topic with you today. Yeah, and and first of all, um, I know that just like you at home, uh, you probably didn't, maybe haven't even taken your shower today, but this is the first time I've had the hair gel uh, <laughs> in the hair, you know, for the last uh, about month. So as a guy that's been on the road uh, for almost 20 years of working at Cane Waters and going to dental meetings and um, you know, the last 15 years speaking, you know, at meetings, this is definitely unusual, uh, for me. Just, uh, uh, it is, it has been tough. And in the last, uh, since about the, uh, around March the 20th is when, uh, you know, most practices have obviously, you know, completely shut down. And then our Cane Waters business has gone, uh, with inquiries just, just through the roof. So when I say I've spoken to hundreds of dentists in the last three to four weeks um saturday sunday included pretty much my day starts you know roughly at seven and uh finishing sometimes you know at, at 10 p.m it's talking to dentists and because for the first time for many of them uh they've got more time on their hands than they've ever had and now all of a sudden they're starting to reflect on their life they're reflecting back on their business a lot of their business decisions uh, just how their accounting is set up, uh, tax planning, what kind of cash they have in the bank. They are truly reflecting on uh, their, their business. Yeah. And so uh, Christy and I, we were scheduled to speak obviously on this topic of transitions. Um, and we certainly, we speak on this topic literally on a daily basis, you know, to the clients that we're working with or prospective clients. And so we wanted to put this presentation together to get you some insight to uh, what and how we would approach um, the value of your business with this kind of uh, unusual uh, circumstance of it being shut down. And uh, so big picture, let's just go back over. We think about the value of a dental practice. It's a service business. So let's just start from the beginning. We're talking giant big picture, you know, million dollar practice and what is it worth the thing is worth money and the, the, the question is how much is it worth and and that has to do with its profitability so christy's gonna give us a a, a recap of how businesses are, are valued for a few minutes um when you think about uh, the valuation date and its impact it's no different than when we perhaps represent a buyer or a seller through this transition process and perhaps in 2019, we have a, a could be a buyer and they're looking at a 2018 valuation. And if I see that 2018 valuation and I'm in January or February of 19, it's solid. I can definitely take a look at that and see how they did their valuation. If it, same token, if I have a 2018 valuation uh, date, they used at 1231 and now I'm into December of that year then that practice data uh, from evaluation is outdated unless I can see of all of 19 that the numbers of the practice from a collection and overhead basically mirrored what the evaluation person did between the calendar years, probably 18, 17, and 16. So certainly want to talk about the, the date and the impact of evaluations because obviously this year um, it, it's going to uh, it's going to impact, you know, not just how you look at this, but your buyer and certainly uh, the bank. When you think about the, you know, how many years is this thing going to, you know, take into place? We'll spend some time on that. I've got some examples coming up of looking uh, from evaluation standpoint and kind of the years. Um, so we'll have some discussions, you know, on that. If you're, if you've already got a practice that's been uh, evaluated, um, or it, it's in the, in the process, we want to spend some time uh, there to talk about, are we going to use the 1231 numbers? Uh, we were planning on doing the evaluation in June. How is that going to impact this process? Um, so you're, you're probably uh, one of two things. If you're on the uh, webinar today, uh, I, I'm thinking about bringing somebody in 
you know, uh, this year in 2020, I was already got somebody in the practice. Uh, I've already agreed to maybe some terms and how is this going to impact that? And so we'll certainly spend some time uh, on that on today's, uh, today's uh, lecture. Um, you know, if you're searching for a buyer, we need to talk about just the conversations you have, what's realistic that we need to think about what your production or collections would need to be towards, towards the end of the year. Um, and, and we'll talk about some of the risk factors um, that this have. And of course, Christy being the valuation analyst, she, you know, she'll go into just some of the uh, things that she's doing, you know, for her current CE and what are some of the new requirements that are going to be for, for an accountant, CPA, CVA, as they as value these businesses. Um, before we advance and before Christy, that, that you, you jump in here, I was going to share with the group, uh, to the membership that one of the things that I am most excited about with the AACD is that they did invite us to speak last year. And, and I would say that the reviews were, uh, were favorable and they did reach out to try to figure out how that we can communicate with membership and start to, to figure out a transition plan for the, all these AACD members and to figure out how to start creating relationships with these younger uh, members so that the transition from seller to buyer, you know, kind of stays inside of that AACD, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, client base or, or membership. And so we've had, a, I, I don't even know, Christy, with, with Dana and, and some of the, the presidents, would you say 10 plus calls that we've had with them to discuss uh, just strategies and, and we're, we're trying to develop a plan to where we envision and giving ideas to, to the group of being able to put these, these buyers and sellers together, um, you know, at the annual sessions and be able to have, you know, uh, webinars and continue education throughout the year to, to develop that plan. And, and so I'm, I'm thankful that they have actually come to us and we've been able to kind of bounce some ideas off of them uh, because I know that as you, as you think about your practice, your, the key, if you own a successful ACD type practice, is you got to find the right person. You got to find the right the right buyer. And so we want to give you some ideas on the plan. But uh, this idea of joining the young doctor and established doctor together is just super super excited about. Absolutely, everyone has to. You know, said it in the beginning. They're complex. They're emotional. You have to find the right person for your practice. Um, and clearly aligning uh, like-minded people is the best way to do that. So um, we're going to jump in to the content today. Um, and I thought, you know, as we were putting this presentation together, I think it's important to always keep in mind just kind of a structure in your head. Um, the CE, various CE that I've been listening to over the last weeks talking about valuation and COVID, um, you know, almost everyone has, has talked about going back to the basics, like what are valuation standards? What, is val what does valuation mean? And so I thought it might be helpful for us just to touch on this and we'll kind of pull back on a few of these pieces and kind of uh, recall some of these as we move forward through a few examples. But I think it's important to remember that valuation at the end of the day focuses mostly, there's a lot of different approaches, but, but in our world, in my world, in NDP's world, and, and most dental practice valuations, um, valuation focuses on profitability and risk. How profitable is your practice? Um, and what is the risk that a buyer is taking on to buy your practice or buy into your practice? And so one of the big things we do is that normalization of cash flows. We find all the stuff you're running through your practice as a, uh, you know, from, a, from an ownership standpoint, most of those things are tax planning. And we're gonna add all of those discretionary and personal back, the additional rent you pay, your CE, your Costco trips, your, your gas, your you know, spouse or children's salaries, um, if they don't work in the practice, all of those things are gonna be added back. And then we're looking at how your practice is unique. Where is it, ge you know, geographically, where is your practice? What type of specialty? Um, who's your competition, um, all of those things that might make your dental practice different from your neighbors or from your counterpart across the country. And then we take that practice. Another thing that's very important, and then we'll talk about a few times today, is when do we value your practice, right? Most valuations are going to take your practice at a snapshot in time. So 12, 31, 19, we're going to take your, your practice and value it at that point. And we typically do not take into account anything that happens after. So everything that's happened historically, we're adding up, it's culminating in this profit and this practice value. And then whatever happens in the future, a buyer has to look at that and assess that. So Ed and Charles's example, we talked to buyers who have valuations that have been done as of 12, 31, 18. We're now in 2020, they give us the valuation. They say, hey, what do you think? 
And my, I always say, well, it looks great for 2018, but what happened in 2019? And that picture can change. And if the, if the picture hasn't changed, right, and, and the gap between the valuation date and where you are, you can rely on that value. But if too much has changed, or the practice has grown or it's declined, then now we have to do some kind of reconciliation to figure out how that value's changed. With COVID, that clearly plays a big role, right? Because everyone's practice looked dramatically different on 1231.19 than it did on 331.19 and 430.19, I'm sorry, 430.20 um, and, and 331.19 and even 6th, you know, June and July, your practice is gonna look very different. And so what valuation standards require us to do for any valuations that we're issuing right now as of 1231 is, is do what's called a subsequent event. So you get a valuation report and it says, here's the value as of 1231, here's all the things we took into account, but wait, there's this big thing that happened in between that valuation date and this report date that you as a reader need to understand. And it could have impacted this value. Now, that subsequent event is not only for COVID. Um, that subsequent event paragraph is there when natural disasters happen. Um, Katrina, big floods like we had here in Texas. Um, the doctor maybe has a health issue like a stroke. Um, a tornado happens. Whatever the event is that could impact the value, um, valuation standards require us to have a subsequent event disclosure. And so pretty much from here until probably 2024, um, there's gonna be some kind of disclosure about COVID. Um, but if your valuation date is prior to um, you know, 331.19 and you get your report after, there's gonna be some kind of disclosure. So you should just kind of know, know that. And we'll talk about the difference between what happens if your practice is valued at 1231.19 or what happens if it's valued in sometime in 2020 here in a minute. We have some examples. Um, Charles, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, a couple of things is, is number one, when we're looking at the, the risk um, of a practice, especially with a cosmetic uh, practice, um, one of the biggest risks is can uh, this buyer do the work that you're doing? And so What's amazing, you know, to me is if you've got this big name in dentistry, I won't, um, I, I can think of a couple, but you've got these big cosmetic names and to one, you know, point, it, it's like a, you would think that if you go work underneath them and buy their practice, what an honor, what a uh, amazing opportunity you could buy X name of dentistry and buy his or her practice. But the problem is, is that person has 20 plus years of clinical experience and they're standing on stages and doing these amazing, you know, cases and, and work. And so the risk in that example is the buyer can't just step into their shoes and, and do that. So when we're looking at these 30 plus, you know, risk factors, one of them is just simply, can they do the work? Not can they do that crown or that veneer or that, you know, surgery, but can they do it at the same level at the senior guy or gal can? And do we have buyers, in this case, patients lined up, you know, for those procedures? So the biggest thing to me that when I think about the risk factor for an AACD practice is always can the buyer do the work? And we know by working with many um, Cane Waters clients, AACD members, we've seen your practices and they vary completely. You know, just because you're AACD doesn't mean you're, you know, got some one hygienist and doing 10, 10, uh, $2 million of collections and, you know, a lab that's at 14% or something. I mean, there's a lot of just traditional crown and bridge practices that are AACD members. So my, my comment there about risk, it's always too about, uh, can they do, can they do the work? Uh, the second, uh, second thing that I think is important is when you're talking about valuations, you know, you've got it bold there is, is typically do not take into account future events. So, you know, one of the things I think is always interesting is I'll get somebody on the phone and say, well, Charles, I've got this, you know, million dollar practice. And, you know, look, I'm referring out ortho, I'm referring out perio, I'm referring out, you know, surgery and endo. And so this practice has this huge opportunity, you know, that, that it's going to be able to grow. And so therefore it's worth more. Perhaps the selling doctor saying that, Perhaps the valuation guy is saying that working in, in their corner. Um, and so it's quite interesting to me that people kind of pick and choose when they want to, um, to take a look at some of these things, you know, and just say that this, they don't, they want to basically not look at one of the risk factors or they only want to look at one and not the other 29 
or they just want to maybe look at the last year, you know, out of, out of the valuation, not look to see what happened. And so, um, yeah, I guess that should also say we do not take into a future events or future opportunity because we yes. don't value future opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's now, certainly when you're doing due diligence in these practices, you want to be able to see that opportunity. And, and I think and we've got some slides. I know I've got some thoughts there with some of the opportunity as um, we deal with this. I think any time there's a crisis, I think there's an opportunity. It's just a matter of who, who's going to take advantage of it. And so I'm going to share, share a couple of stories just with some people today that, uh, that I spoke with, but uh, I'll allow you just to keep, keep, keep moving on, Ms. Radcliffe. Absolutely. So, and the last thing, you know, so valuation date, profitability risk, all of those things are going to be the subject and part of your valuation. Um, another thing that you kind of touched on, Charles, is, is we're going to look at two to four years of historical data. Okay. So that is important, right? And, and for most valuations right now, um, even without COVID, our valuation date would be 1231.19. But at a certain point in the year, we generally have enough to start using 2020 information. Okay. And so normally if your sale, let's say you were planning a transition for January of 2021, most valuation analysts would probably use some date around June of 2020 for your valuation date. Um, that's just not going to be possible, right? For with COVID, most practices are going to look the worst than they've ever looked on June 30th of 2020. Um, but you know, that problem is not just in 2020. If you're doing a sale in 2022 or 2023, because evaluation standards require us to look at two to four years of historical data, 2020 is going to be in there. And so it's important to understand that a good valuation is going to not look at just your last year. Um, and sometimes not even your last two years. There absolutely are times when only two years make sense, but we're, uh, they should be reviewing two to four years and then waiting each year based on what's happened. Um, and in a, in a normal situation, the most recent year is the most indicative of how your practice is gonna do moving forward, right? On In January, we all thought 19 is probably what our practice is gonna look like or better in 2020. Um, and that's just not the case now. And so understanding how those historical years are gonna look in 20 and 2021 and 2022 um, and ensuring that whomever you hire to do your evaluation or to look at your practice transition understands 2020 and understands how to utilize that and what weight to place on that is going to be really critical and we'll have an example and we can talk about that um, today because clearly there's just there are things that are not um, uh, it, that are different in our world today and a lot of unknowns. And so I'll also caveat as, as I move move on and um, and, and turn it over um, to, to Mr. Loretta. I think I'm gonna take the next slide, but before I move on, I wanna say, I, I, I understand that things are changing daily um, with what we're going through and there is a ton of unknowns. Um, and, and we are living and breathing this every day as you are, um, and kind of taking it one step at a time. Um, and so everything we're talking about today is I think an educated, um, educated um, hypothesis of how things, will, how things will go. And clearly the longer our, you know, your practices are shut down, um, the bigger the impact and we understand that. But a lot of these valuation standards and how valuations and how transitions work um, is gonna continue. So um, I wanna look at an example um, of what a practice might have looked like uh, Pre-COVID, right? So, if you look kind of on the left side of your screen, you see 2019, 18, and 17. So, if I was doing evaluation of this practice, those are generally the years I'd look at. We might have 16 in there. And if you look at this practice from 17 to 19, started off at 1.4, kind of grew up to that 1.5 level, um, and that overhead kind of varied. But right at that 55% mark is where it landed in 19. So that practice, after we normalized it netting around 675,000, okay? On the right side of your screen, what you'll see is this is the estimate, excuse me, estimated valuation. So this is the valuation and this is what a model would typically look like, right? With a lot of assumptions underneath here to complicate this, but you know, the weighting you see at the top is generally how we would weight these, right? The most recent year gets the heaviest weight of an average and then each, each uh, older year is gonna have a little bit less weight. And what the result of that is, is that weighted average that you'll see down that far right column, that 1471. Um, we like to use weighted averages in valuation because it basically says, hey, I'm not just gonna take the last year and 
which is often probably your best year and say, this is what it is. I'm going to show, I'm going to show some growth. I'm going to be conservative. Um, we evaluation people love to be conservative. Um, and so the, 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 weighted average of collections was around 1.47 and that net cash flow, that profitability of that business with a 56% overhead is roughly 650. So if I were to put this through our valuation model, um, assuming a cap rate, um, the valuation for this practice with this set of risk factors is roughly 1.214 million, okay? Um, and so, so that value pre-COVID um, for this practice, which is probably in an urban area and probably pretty updated, um, kind of given the high, high value there is around 83%. Now, a lot of our doctors that we're working with currently have, have a valuation that was as of 1231.19. And the number one question I'm getting is, is that number still right? And that's from both sellers and buyers who are coming to me with these valuations that say, is this number right? Like, do I pay this? Do I not pay this? Like, how do I know? Um, and, and, and we don't know right yet. Um, but in the next slide, uh, and I'm going to hand it over to, to Charles because I know he has something to say. Um, but I, you know, and we're going to try to show you what we think. Um, but you know, there's with a caveat that time is going to, time is going to be the biggest teller here. Yeah. So one of the things that if we take a look on the, on this left side here, so if, if somebody were to approach me, so it's both buyer and seller. So uh, let's, let's assume first that it's a seller and uh, they say, Hey, I'm thinking about, um, you know, bringing in a partner. I'm going to ask questions. So I'm going to say, send me your financials. And I would do a quick kind of a due diligence and, and normalization process that Christy has done here to, to determine your million five practice is has a cash flow of 675. And I'd ask questions, are we looking for a partnership or a 100% transition? Well, I'm thinking about, you know, maybe a partnership, okay? And so the next question is, how many chairs do you have? Four chairs, I'm working in 1,600 square feet. What about new patient flow? About 10. What, what are you referring out? Nothing, I've been doing dentistry for 25 years, I keep everything in-house. In uh, how far is your doctor production booked out? It's not really, not really booked out. How many hygienists do you have? I've got one hygienist and she's doing, you know, 150,000 out of her chair. The rest of it is doctor. And you're looking for a partnership? Yes. It doesn't make sense because the, the numbers aren't there. There's, you don't have the right new patients. You don't have the chairs. The cash flow is saying yes. And, and maybe your financial plan and maybe you're, you, you, you maybe want some more time off, but some other factors in there you just got through telling me doesn't make sense. Now I look at this and say, I've got a beautiful, consistent one, four, one, four, one, five practice, nice, beautiful overhead that is yielding, you know, 45 cents in the dollar. And then that same story is I've got 40 new patients, you know, a month. I'm referring out these procedures. Um, I've got six, you know, seven chairs available and I'm only utilizing maybe four to five and I'm referring out these procedures and I do no external marketing. And so my thought process is to bring in this associate. And so when we're seeing these numbers, they start telling stories, but it's not just these numbers. You, you have to see the other, the other part of the practice to, to almost conceive that this thing is going to, to take off or it's going, it's going to struggle. If I was going to purchase this practice, and we use Christie's valuation of $1.2 million and I was a buyer. I would look at this and say, does this make sense? Well, it's a million five practice that nets, you know, $675,000. If I went to the bank and I borrowed, you know, $1.2 million, then the bank is gonna give me the money, assuming that I can do the work, assuming I got some cash in the bank, because after I pay the bank, me, the investor, if I buy your practice, if I'm the buyer and you're the seller, I'm going to make over $500,000 a year after debt. So this tells me from a, a, a transition standpoint, like one of three stories, beautiful practice. And it tells me based on my answers of uh, chairs and new patient flow and active patient, it would tell me the things of this is what you want to do. I can see it. And then maybe a young person D4 trying to buy this practice that just graduated dental school. Of course they can't do the work. Of course they don't have the money. And of course they would maybe be able to do, do all these procedures. And so um, this, this practice is what we love to see because it's telling us that we're ready, but we do have to ask more, more questions with regards to what your transition goals are. Oh, absolutely. That wonderful interplay between valuation and transition. 
So, you know, I think it's important to, to say, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to turn this over to you to kind of explain this, but you know, what we have to do if you are looking, and, and this is really focused on people who are either looking to have a transition early in 2021 or sometime in 2020, right? Um, that, that those people I think are in the, in the biggest unknown situation because we, we're not back to work yet. We, we haven't opened our doors. Patients are not coming back. So we have to make some educated um, assumptions at, you know, now, and then we have to see how those play out after our doors are open. And so what we did and what we would encourage everyone to do is to kind of understand and have goals um, and be proactive and kind of when, when your doors reopen, where, whatever that is, and we've made some assumptions here, um, how are we getting patients back in the chair? How are we getting production back up? Um, and if you have a buyer or are a seller who are looking to do a transition communication with that other party um, and proving out that this, this you know, I know I had that valuation. I know we've been closed, but look at what is happening in this practice. Um, so Charles, you want to walk us through this slide? Yeah. So again, top slide. I love it. You know, got that consistency that we just showed before. And then the question that you would have as the investor, the question I think that the banks are going to have is, okay, yeah, Christy, the, the million two number, uh, that that's fine. And I'm good with that, but we don't know what, you know, really, you know, 2020 is going to bring. Yep. And so we just took this million five practice. We left the fixed costs and direct costs. And we just started playing around with, Hey, in that scenario, we were bringing in about 125 a month from a collection number. And so we, we had January and February consistent somewhere around the middle of March that, you know, pretty much dentistry came to a stop. And for most, for the most part, um, we've got practices that are not seeing any patients, some, some small emergencies, um, but we just assumed no collections uh, between the, the months of April and May and the, the half month, just, just, just to show you what this would look like. We assume that, uh, and I think these are huge assumptions. We, we have no idea what guidelines the ADA is going to have. We got no idea what the governors are going to say to come, you know, that open business. And then the ADA says this, and just even what is right that, you know, that you're going to have to do. What, what are those conditions? We have no, we are just literally guessing. We have no idea what those 70-year-old patients, are they going to truly just show up for their hygiene appointments again? 80-year-old, are they going to show up? We don't know. I mean, I know for a fact that I haven't seen, um, you know, my mother-in-law in a month because she doesn't feel comfortable. She has literally not left her house in 30 days. And so, and I don't blame her. You know, I just, I don't know how this is all going to impact our, our world because your world is my world. But we made some assumptions. We said that the practice would be, you know, 50% of collections. And then we said maybe 75% of collections over the next couple of months. And so we took this million dollar business and basically, you know, we estimate that it does a million dollars, could do more, could be less, but this is, we have to start with some assumptions just so you can see what, what our thought process is. We also can, can play with that same assumption and assume that our fixed costs are fixed. We can assume we had to bring back some employees and we're trying to time when they come back, but our patient, on a per day basis, not quite as full. We're not running a solid eight, you know, eight uh, hygiene patient days. Now all of a sudden we got some sevens and sixes in there. So we still got to pay these people. Now we're just not as efficient anymore. So our overhead starts to increase. And so in this example, on the bottom left, we're saying that the same practice that did a million five could potentially go down to a million 25 million one we, we're, we're saying also potential that our overhead is going to go up and all of a sudden we're not netting 675 but we're netting in the range of that 350 to 400 and so now as an investor okay so as an investor you got to think does this make sense to you know the the value of the business that that christy said working with the seller said that it was 1.2 million and now the practices looks like it's only going to finish out, you know, at a million, million one, should you pay that amount of money? So as an investor, your first response is no, that's crazy. You'd be overpaying for this. That's ridiculous. Okay. That, that's definitely a thought, but I, I, that's an emotional response. And what I'd want to do if I'm the investor, if I'm working with the seller or the buyer, if I'm even thinking about it from a bank perspective, can you show me what the most recent months were? In this case, if we go into November and December and I'm, you know, 
your practice is doing 125 back to normal. I can see that your new patient flow is, is equivalent. It was doing 30 before. Now it's doing, you know, 30 perhaps as an opportunity, you know, the guy down the street that was in his seventies that have outdated stuff. The ADA comes out and says, you need to have, you know, this mask, you need to have this thing to protect all this other stuff. And, and you need to have your, your room set up this way. And the, and the older guy goes, I am so done. I am out, close the doors and patients, here you go. I'm telling you that it's just demographics. They're going to be, I don't know, a few thousand practices like that, that just give it up. Well, that's an opportunity, in my opinion, to serve those patients. I have, I have examples of two practices today that I spoke to. They've got their kids answering the phone and they're dealing with emergencies. The emergencies that every other dentist around town is not dealing with and they're still putting production on their books and moving, you know, hopefully getting those patients into to recall, but they're thankful, but they're in pain. And so there is certainly an opportunity to, to still market and take care of people. They've got their 20 year old kids calling those patients and saying, you know, I'm the son or I'm the daughter of this, uh, of the doctor. I want you to know that your hygiene appointments come up. We're working. And as soon as we get the, you know, the opportunity, we're going to have you back in practice, but thank you for, you know, hanging, hanging around with through this situation, you call me with any emergency. There is an opportunity in every crisis, in, in, in my opinion. And so in this case, the opportunity is, does the buyer just say, I'm out because I don't want to pay the million two. The thing is probably still worth a million two. If you want to wait another full year, uh, associate, okay. But the associate in this example may only be making $200,000 a year. And I clearly can show this basically pacing the 1.5 it was before. Clearly we keep doing it. You're going to make 675 as the owner pre-debt. It's a risk you got to take. And this is, in my opinion, you know, worth taking. Um, so if you're the seller, we can't just take these numbers and say, hey, you know, it's a, it was a million five in COVID and we're in, you know, July and August, we're doing 75% of the actual uh, production and collection, but hey, this is what we're doing before. So you owe me $1.2 million. I, I, I don't think that the bank or the buyer or seller are going to be on that same page because I, I do want to see that consistency and that bounce back from practice. So as I see this and we were kind of coming up with this, this is where my passion and, and um, uh, pulse started jumping. Like I can, you know, I can, you can kind of see both sides and the fun part about what we do is to steer people uh, down, down this road. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, and we're going to, I have a comparison here because I think it's important. I think there's still people who would say, well, what would it value at? Um, and just like in the slide where we're talking about that, you know, the, the growth and kind of the buildup uh, of the production, if I'm a buyer, I want to see that. And so like, like the people you spoke with today who are calling the patients, um, the quicker we can see that schedules are being full and we can see the gradual growth, it doesn't have to be at 85% by September, but we just need to see the buildup and the growth. Um, and we'll talk in a, a little bit about some other transitions. But if we take this practice, I want to kind of wrap this up so we can get into more transition pieces. If I take this practice and I say, okay, great, um, what would this practice value at and what are some options here? You know, I think it's important that whomever you hire to do evaluation, and you this you may have to get this valuation. Let's say you had one as of twelve thirty one nineteen, and your buyer is saying, "I want to see another one," right? Or you're just trying to validate or understand, or maybe you didn't have one before, but you're trying to just understand kind of what what the impact of twenty twenty is going to be. I think it's important that you understand the weighting that we talked about earlier and the time period we're looking at. Um, any valuation moving forward is going to have to have 2020 be part of it. We can't just pretend 2020 didn't exist. It existed. Um, but what we can do is place less weight on it. So on the left side of your screen, this is what a traditional weighting would look like in a normal world, right? We put the most weight on the most recent year. Um, 1, 1, 25 is what we did in 2020. And you can see, if you kind of go to the bottom of that table, 755 your practice that was pre-COVID valued at 1.2. And now because of the dramatic change in your collections and the weight that we're continuing to put the full weight on 2020, your value went from 1.2 to 755. That is huge. Okay. On the right, we have, okay, we have a, a post-COVID -val post valuation, but now we've basically said, you know what, 2020 is not representative of the future. We're going to, we're going to still weight it, 
right? But we're going to actually only wait at a 0.5. We're going to wait 19, the heaviest, and then 18, a little less than 19. And when we do that, even with the decreased collections now, our valuation, assuming everything else is equal, is 1.1. Okay, so now 1.2 compared to 1.1. Now, for most of you who go back full throttle, continuing to get patients in, and you're seeing the buildup we see, we just saw on that previous screen, I think the, the, the waiting on the right is going to make the most sense for you. There will be practices where the left and waiting 2020 the most heavily might make the most sense. And that's going to be for those practices. I've talked to several, who, several people who want their doors back open and they want to see patients again, but this has also shown them that maybe some time off is nice and maybe they're at a point in their world where they can only work three days instead of four days. And so when they reopen, they're going to reopen at a slower pace and that's going to be a decision that they're making for themselves, right? And at that point, now you're 12, 31, 19, that 1.2 is not right anymore, right? Even if you're building back up, you're not trying to build back up to that $1.5 million practice. So there will be, you know, individual circumstances where your, your valuation team is going to have to know all of those things that Charles just talked about. And it's where valuation and transition collide. What is your practice? And it's going to be so important now in a post-COVID world of figuring out what the value of your practice is. Um, in most valuation worlds, you don't look at monthly numbers. You look at annual numbers because you care how the practice did overall. Um, it's going to be critical that we look monthly in, in, in 2020 and even in early 2021 um, until the practice is back up to where we, where we want it to be. And as a buyer, if you're going in to buy a practice, focusing more on the big picture and seeing the growth and understanding what your seller is trying to do to bring it back up to that level um, is going to be really, really important. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you are a seller and you want to sell um, and you're not willing to kind of wait um, and, and for whatever reason you need to make a sell, um, you know, if you look at the, the right side value, the difference between a 1.2 and a 1.1, it's a hundred thousand dollars. It's a lot of money. Um, but you as an individual may make a decision that, you know what, I'm willing to kind of, you know, I don't want to wait anymore. I want to go ahead and agree to this number. Um, and, and know that the buyer is going to have to do now the work to kind of continue to build it back up to what it was. So, um, I think it's just important, you know, in, in this, in this world that we're now entering, um, is valuation, yes, that's historical numbers, but there is a story there and that story really matters to make sure that we're, we're moving in the right, in the right direction. So just, just commenting there, I agree, it, it's a one, two from a one, one, so it's a hundred thousand dollar, you know, difference. So many times the seller will say, well, that's just, that's just wrong. It doesn't, doesn't feel right. And, uh, you know, you can always say, hey, hey, buyer, uh, I know that the value came in at one, one, but I really want one, two. And if the buyer is willing to pay uh, that that's okay. And if the, the bank is willing to lend for that amount of money, that's, that's okay as well. And uh, if, if the buyer, you know, is looking at this and maybe it's going to be a partnership. I mean, yes, maybe it's a hundred thousand dollar higher on the value, but the reality is it's really only 50,000 because we're actually going to be only purchasing, you know, half the practice. And so, and we're getting, you know, write that off as well. So there's just a lot of emotion that goes into practice valuations and partnerships already. And then you throw this whole, you know, COVID out for three months kind of thing. Uh, the key thing I cannot stress enough is just basically going back to be able to see, are we back on the same kind of numbers and track that we were before? You mentioned like, you know, like a, a Harvey uh, type uh, example that we had here in Texas. Well, if, if Harvey came and, and took the, the business from a million to million five and literally washed away the patients as well to the patients were left and we don't have any patients and we just consistently are on, we're not doing 125 a month, we're doing 80 a month and it's consistent, consistent. Then my value has gone down from, you know, now I'm going to put the, the, the weight on the million, the million dollar at a three and not a 0.5 because I'm not bouncing back. Mm -hmm. So th that weight that Christy was referring to is certainly looking um, you know, at the, at the risk factor as well. Did we bounce back uh, or not? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, and I think that leads right into, to kind of the next topic and kind of this, what we want to talk about is if you're going through a value, if you're going through a transition right now, and, and most of the time value um, equals price when they're done at the same time, but the further your valuation gets from um, from, from when you do a transition, I think the bigger oftentimes the gap between value and price so a lot of people think those terms are synonymous, but 
ultimately, whatever price two people can agree to, that is the value of something, right? And so in, in a time when there's maybe unknown factors or future factors that are playing into it, or there's, you know, who's buying it versus who's selling it, um, there are times when those two numbers aren't the same. Um, and, and I think this this situation, anyone who's in a transition or about to do a value, you know, about to enter into a sale, um, those two numbers might not be the same right now. Um, but what, but what matters, right, um, are are the terms of your transition and the terms of of what makes your sale different and, and your buyer and seller and, and kind of the uniqueness of each opportunity. Because there is no box when we talk about post-COVID transitions in the next coming years, um, every practice is going to be a little bit different. And where you are um, geographically, a practice in New York is going to be very different from a practice in Indiana or, or an area maybe that wasn't as impacted by, by COVID. Um, the types of production that you do, um, partnership or walk away, um, you know, if I'm in a, if I'm entering a partnership, I'm probably in the practice. And so I, as an associate, I know the practice, I can see people coming back. Um, there's probably a relationship there that, that you and the seller, you and the buyer have versus I'm in a walk away um, and I'm going to be buying a practice and this, and, and the, and the seller is, you know, going to hand me the keys, maybe a very short transition, clearly more risk in that in general. And then now there's more risk in that because we're coming off of this time where the seller has not been in the practice, patients have not been coming through the door. Um, and so maybe a delay of the close or kind of at least understanding that that's a risk is really important for both parties to kind of acknowledge and figure out, does, do, do those factors need to adjust this value that I have um, now, even if I'm building back up uh, appropriately? Yeah, and keep in mind you can put a value on something, but again, just the two parties have to have to agree to it. So that, for example, uh, I spoke to a young man in Tennessee yesterday, and he's going to purchase a practice uh, east of where he is. And first question I like, you know, to ask is always, you know, does your does your in this case was male, does your wife like that city? And they kind of both giggled and and yes. And this particular practice was 800 collections, and it netted 300. And um, you know, I'm looking at the tax returns. I can see that that's what the business is netting. They agreed upon a price of, of $300,000 and they're going to close uh, in October. And this particular um, doctor, I mean, he's just going to retire. So he's not going to come back uh, post, uh, post COVID. He's just not. So it's outdated practice. So we've got to look at what, you know, the things that we're going to invest in the business, but it's still, even if we think the practice is going to go down, you know, this year and may only do 500, it still makes sense for this young couple for the number of active patients and all the things that this doctor had been referring out. Uh, and based on the demographics, it's just, it's, it's an opportunity. So that guy in this case doesn't need evaluation. You know, it's just, he came up with his price and it worked for basically the buyer and the seller, you know, enough for me to look at and say, absolutely. You know, this is better than a startup. You got, whatever, you know, 1200 active or 1400 active patients, whatever it was, and this, this makes sense. Um, so for, you know, for that example, they agree and, you know, let, let's move forward. This example can't, the type of production, he can do it. It's, 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 it's simple, you know, kind of crown and bridge. If it's a super high end practice, then, you know, we need to look at that and see the skill set of, of, of this buyer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, I think that if, if you're in this boat where you're looking at a, a short term transition, these, these things impact you more. If, if 2022, late 21, um, the practice, you, you will have enough evidence to show the practices building back up uh, and where it was or, or beyond where it was. And so I think, I think the timing of your transition and the timeliness of that rebuild are really gonna be critical for, for, for both the buyer and seller to understand that that's gonna be, that's gonna be at play. Um, we've talked a lot about unknowns uh, and kind of what is there. Uh, you know, we have about 10 more minutes. I, I want to spend some time on um, all of these unknowns as you, as you contemplate a transition. If you're listening in because you want to, you, you're planning for a transition and you thought, think, oh man, great. This is like the perfect time to be starting this process. What, what's going to happen? Um, I want to talk about, about these factors because these factors matter. Um, and, and Charles, I want you to first speak on kind of the seller's financial and kind of risk tolerance and kind of at, if, you, if, if you're listening and you're a seller and you're contemplating this, you know, kind of what the unknowns are to you right now and kind of what matters as you contemplate transition. Yeah. And I think if we, 
just if Chrissy, we manage our time, I, you know, I've got two fifty, so we'll spend five minutes on this and then maybe allow for 10 minutes with Q and a. So just from a, a time standpoint, Dana, that we'll probably run just a few minutes, few minutes over. Uh, but I, I, I know that there's some questions that are popping up. I want to make sure that we get, get those, get those addressed. Um, so, I mean, in the end, when we have a, I always like to have a first call with the selling doctor to figure out what their financial situation is. And so I'm always asking the question is, can you afford to do this? If you tell me your financial plan is set, you tell me you've got three, $4 million put away. Uh, you tell me that the, you got a $2 million business and you're going to get a million five or something, million six for the business. And you put that in your pile and uh, you, you're going to be able to afford just to write off on the sunset. Then, um, you know, absolutely. Let's move forward. And maybe let's don't get caught up on the value went down a little bit because you had a bad, you know, COVID, you know, 20, uh, 20 uh, year. So it's always first, I need to start off with the, and that's really where kind of cane waters is what their niche is, is really just looking at the overall health of the practice and health of the person's financial plan. Can they afford you know, to, to go down this road? And I think what's so important this year is the fact that you know now all of a sudden the doctor didn't make in, in our example earlier didn't make maybe a six hundred and seventy five thousand dollar benefit maybe they're only going to make you know four hundred maybe maybe you've got doctors right now that are sitting at home that uh, for the last thirty days and they're just about ready to shoot themselves because they're they're going crazy and they're like I thought I want to retire and there's no way I want to retire I, I don't know I mean I can tell you that there are things from a financial standpoint that are going to change for the selling doctor from their perspective. Um, there's going to be the patients that are going to come back to the, to the practice, you know, could be the same. They could be more if we buy the guy guys practice, you know, down, down the street. I, I don't know. We could open in May 15th. We could open in June. We could open in June 15th. We could open in June. And then all of a sudden only half the patients come back, but we bring all the employees back too soon. And then we brought all the employees back to and now we're eating up all of our cash and now we're investing in marketing, but the marketing's not working. So we just truly don't know. Um, but this is, this is, you know, from a, a, from a timing standpoint, I really think that from a seller, um, you know, we, we've got to be able to get through this and, um, and, and get the practice, you know, thriving again. So I can't push you enough to, to make sure that from a consulting standpoint that you're keeping those, those patients, you know, aware of what's going on and, and keeping them active of what your, what your plans are when you open back, open back up. Yeah. And we've talked about patients too, you know, clearly staff that's important as well in a transition. So if we're looking, if you are in the boat of looking to, you know, transition hundred percent of your practice now and in the future, um, you may have staff that are in the same boat as you are, right. That maybe you have an older, uh, older staff and some of them choose this to retire and they don't come back. And so now we have new, new staff that we're bringing in and training. Um, so I think we have to be cognizant that there's going to be a lot of changes to practices that even if you come back full bore and, and have all, have all the production running, um, there might be, there might be changes. Um, you know, I can speak, I've talked to a lot of buyers and I think uh, one of the questions we had in, in the Q&A thus far is about DSOs. Um, you know, I think all buyers, both private and DSOs are, are all in one of two categories. Either I'm gonna use this time to continue moving forward. I'm gonna do diligence. I might not wanna close yet, but I'm gonna use this time because I know I wanna be an owner. I know I wanna purchase. So I'm gonna use this time that, that purchases are closed to kind of make progress and find a practice because I'm confident in dentistry and I'm, I'm gonna find a strong practice or I'm looking at a strong practice that I know will come back. And then there are those that are shutting down completely and they're not doing anything else until doors reopen. Um, and it's all about their risk tolerance and their financial situation, right? Um, some buyers are financially, you know, kind of a little more set um, there may be second career um, and they, they have a high risk tolerance and they know like eventually I have, I, I'm confident. Um, and the same is with DSOs that we're working with, right? Some have halted all operations and some are not looking at any practices right now and some are continuing to do diligence. And so I think you have to know that the individual's tolerance and kind of personality and what they're looking at and their confidence level and their familiarity with a practice um, or their skill level um, or their ownership, you know, acumen is going to be a big part of, of the practice. 
Um, and so, you know, for the individual who asks about DSOs, um, you know, yeah, they're look they're going to look at it something just like uh, just like an individual person would look at. And they're not going to price it for it, right? They're going to look at something. They're willing to buy something that they think has opportunity in the future, and that goes with referring things out or um, growing it or expanding it um, or or making it better, right? I, mean, I think that's what most people are looking to buy something and to improve upon it. So, a big question we get all the time is about banks. Will banks lend these? kids some money that's that's my, my common question i get at our our uh, transition lectures and the answer is 100 and what's how is COVID impacting lending today mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, we're in communication with all of these major banks uh, and they are 100 a go uh, now i can tell you that if we go all the way through june uh, 30th with zero uh, financials then the sales guy that works for the bank that's saying yes, I promise you there's a risk department that's behind the scenes that wants to see basically the same thing I've been talking about is they want to see the, the, the practice uh, bounce back. But as of right now, um, all these major banks that, that specialize in dentistry, full force, like all in, you know, bring me as many buyers, refinance this, you know, lines of credit, they, they are willing to lend a dentist because your success rate is, is so high. Yep, absolutely. Um, another question that we had um, was, um, is this specific to any, any particular specialty, what we've been talking about today? And I think this is across the board. There are certainly risks for each different specialty um, that, that are going to apply um, in evaluation or a transition. But kind of what we've been talking about today is kind of globally from an overall transition standpoint. I think all practices are on a pretty even playing field. I mean, there are certain practices that may be less impacted. Charles, we were talking about, you know, the endo um, or kind of oral surgeon who maybe is seeing more emergencies anyway. And so they're able to have more production right now than maybe your, your, your general practice that, um, that has, a, has a more um, typical clientele. But I, I think that for, for what, in our opinion, you know, these are global uh, discussions that are going to impact every practice if you're looking at a transition um, and certainly all of these unique risk factors are, are common among specialties. Yeah you see like in orthodontics you know right now so you know orthodontic practice that may have uh, two million from a collection standpoint you know they have basically probably a million uh, three or million four in contracts so they're constantly still getting money and they're constantly uh, have <laughs> in this case uh, they've got probably 500 or 600 kids in braces. So they have to go back. You know, it's not like a hygiene, like I'm just going to miss the hygiene visit. They have to go back. So it, it, uh, uh, so for them to get in there, um, you know, it, it's, it, you're not going to see, you know, much of decline there. You're going to see a decline on production. Um, but at least that'll get their collections, you know, are, are still going to be solids. But from a valuation standpoint, we'll have to look at orthodontic practices differently as well. Um, so, uh, like you said, Christy, uh, for the, for the most part, uh, it's, it's a service business. We're going to have these same numbers across the board, same risks that we'll look at, uh, to determine, um, how COVID impacted the practice. This is a good question that we didn't, um, touch on. Um, so thank you. Um, it says, would you recommend seller financing right now? And would the interest rate on a seller finance deal be higher due to the potential greater future risk? Um, you know, we have, as I said in the beginning, I think from, from my perspective, and Charles, I know you have an opinion here too, I think that we have, we're not in a box. Um, I think every transitions, we're going to have to figure out what works. Um, I don't think that, uh, I mean, there are certain situations where people have to have 100%, 100% um, seller financed deals because of a buyer and a seller. Um, clearly that's risky for the seller and there are times when that makes sense and times when it doesn't. Um, I think in this case, it depends on what you're agreeing on, right? If you as a seller are wanting your pre-COVID value um, and you're needing to sell before that can be proven out, there are things where, you know, there are situations where I've seen, and it hasn't happened yet, but I've seen proposals where, you know, there's 80% of your value, you know, for walkaway sales, 80%, I'll give you 80%, and then I want the seller to finance the other 20% so that they're at risk and they're there and they can prove out that that practice is gonna come back. So I think we might see more, 
um, creative transition structures. I think we might see more seller involvement to prove out that that practice is going to come back. Um, I don't think you're going to have to do it. I don't think it's a situation where lending is going to say, you know, we're not financing anymore. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to depend on the strength of a practice before COVID, um, the profitability of the practice, and then again, that growth as we come back. Yeah, so in general, when you put my put my Cane Waters hat on, the advisor is going to tell you not to do seller finance. It's just, it's just too much risk. Even if it's a 6% rate of return versus, you know, the banks right now are lending at about, you know, three and a quarter percent, three percent. So I think you can do better than three. But if you, if you sit there and take your million dollar practice and you get 800,000, are you really going to take your life's work over a 10 year amortization period? to make three or 4% to somebody and you move from Illinois to Florida or something, and then they mess something up and you know, you let your license lapse or something and now you're in your seventies and you got to go back. I mean, no, um, if it's a, you know, the, the million two value and the bank only wants to lend a million as Christy said, uh, maybe uh, the, you get the million bucks, you pull the money, the equity out of the practice and that you carry, you know, $200,000 on it. And uh, it's, it's some, uh, you feel really good about it. I, I understand. And that's, that's pretty common. You'd have a separate promissory note in that example. And then uh, we, we've guide you through that. We've certainly seen that in many valuations, uh, but it's typically something unique about them and something where uh, the two, two examples would be in Washington DC where you see practice valuations, maybe are really high or in orthodontics a million dollar collection orthodontic practice, you know, the market value is a million dollars. The bank says, Nope, I don't care about market value. I'm only going to lend 850. So the bank gives 850 and the seller guy or gal basically holds the note for, for 150,000 with, with kind of similar, similar terms. So I do think that you'll, you potentially see that uh, the longer that uh, and the worse that this impacts our practices in 2020, um, I do think that you're going to see some type of um, seller guarantee uh, or portion of the, uh, the price of being held by the seller this year for sure. Yeah. And then I think we have time for one more question. So I got a question from a buyer. Um, and if we didn't get to your question, just kind of to, to let you know, if we didn't get to your question, um, our contact information is on the screen. Feel free to shoot us an email um, or, or, and, and we can get you that information. Um, National Dental Placements, there's a contact form. It comes directly to me and Charles. I'm happy to give you, uh, answer any questions that are unique or kind of if we didn't get to your question today. Um, but the last question we're going to get to today is, as a potential buyer, does it make sense to wait one to two years in order to evaluate how the dental economy does? Um, you know, I think, my opinion, I think, uh, you know, generally the faster you can get to ownership, the better. Um, I do think this is a unique time. I think there are, um, it's going to very much depend on the practice that you're looking to buy, um, very much depend on your financial situation um, and kind of how secure you are right now. Um, we definitely understand um, the impact that, that this is having on practice owners as they sit today. Um, so, you know, I think, it, I think that there's a lot of nuances to that. I don't think that we can make a general wait one more year and here's what it's going to look like. Um, because as I said, we're working with a lot of buyers who are buying some really great practices right now. Um, and they're confident in those and they're, and they, you know, and they, and they, but, but they themselves have, have come to that decision. Um, and, and, you know, I think that people are still going to need dentists. We're still going to go. Um, I think it's going to come back. It's just timing of when that comes back. Um, and like Charles alluded to earlier, I think there's opportunity, um, with enough diligence and looking at it from the right perspective. Yeah. So my opinion there is, look, if you're a dentist and you're an associate dentist, and, and we have round two uh, of COVID, you're unemployed, you have no money, you know, so you're at risk either way with this, this health crisis, period. I'd rather be at risk as an owner than as a unemployed individual, okay? If, if you're the associate, you're right now, and you were working at corporate or whoever else, when it goes back, if you're the associate, I promise you, you're the last person to get production because you're not needed. The, the first person that's gonna get the production is the doctor and the owner. And even if it's emergency season, it's enough to make that practice uh, to continue, you're gonna be the one. And so you can either be the associate and be at risk, or you're gonna be the owner at risk. I just think you have a way more upside, more money, 
equity in the business, control your tax planning, control your, 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 your pension planning, your future, because you're the owner. I mean, that's, you have to understand that because you're, you're, you're at risk either way. And if I was to put a hat on, I'm pretty sure that if we, we have another round of um, COVID again, then what's going to happen is we're going to be better prepared. We're going to have the equipment needed and the mask and everything else in these dental operatories that we are accepting. This is the new norm and best guess is we'll be ready. And maybe we're not hitting a hundred percent, you know, numbers like we were hitting before, but you know, I do think that if I'm putting a crystal ball, it seems like we, you as small business owner dentists are going to figure this out. You have no choice, but to figure, uh, to figure it out. Uh, and I know Dana, as you pop back on, I remember us talking about that any of the questions that we did not get uh, addressed, that we'll have those written out. And so I wanna make sure that uh, we have those written out and we get some type of response. And so perhaps uh, as this presentation is uh, available to the membership, we can have those additional questions just basically written out so everyone can see those and then us to respond. And so perhaps we can send that as additional attachment. Absolutely. Definitely. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Christy and Charles, for sharing such valuable information during this unprecedented time. To our participants who are still on the line, thank you for attending and look for that follow-up communication from the AACB regarding um, when the recording is available and also that survey about this, about this webinar. Everybody have a great afternoon. Thank you for attending. Thank you. Thanks, Dana, for hosting. Appreciate it. See you, Christy. Bye-bye.